Okay, brothers and sisters in the faith, uh, we are truly, truly happy to be able to see each other again through Zoom or through Facebook Live or YouTube and to study His Holy Words and His Commandments. Now, our topic for today concerns the Jews and primarily because of the rejection of our King Yahusha HaMashiach. Obviously, being members of the Assembly of Yahusha, we believe that Yahusha is the Messiah and because of our belief, we will proclaim Him as he instructed us to do, to testify of him so that more and more people can make him their Lord, their King, their Messiah, for the salvation of their soul. So we're going to look at some of the reasons why the people of Israel reject Yahusha as their King. If you go to Israel, because out of all the people, one would think that people would believe uh, in Yahusha, there in Israel, because after all, there are many Old Testament prophecies that have already been fulfilled by Yahusha. And so because the people of Israel, well, they, re they refer to and base their faith on the Old Testament, one would think that the people of Israel would accept Yahusha as the Messiah. Turns out only 1% or even less than that believe that Yahusha is the Messiah. So we need to understand the reason why. And so we go to one of the websites where it teaches all about Jewish roots and Jewish beliefs. This is Or Shomayak, and they have a section there called Ask the Rabbi. And we ask the question, why do Jews not believe in Jesus or in Yahusha? And so the, the, the rabbi gave several objections, four specific or four categorical objections. The first one being scriptural references, which he says were not used correctly. And number two, the genealogy of our King Yahusha. And we discussed those two objections in our first episode, why do the Jews reject Yahusha as the Messiah? So if you have time, please refer to the episode concerning this particular topic. So today, we're going to look at the other two objections presented by this rabbi, namely Messianic predictions, and number four, Messiah's qualification. So let's go ahead and look at number three first. Uh, this is what he has to say. The main predictions concerning the Messiah are that he will bring peace to the world, gather the Jewish people from their exile to the land of Israel, and rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. After Jesus' appearance, the temple was destroyed. The Jews were exiled all over the world, and we have not even had one day of peace in the past 2,000 years. Many of the wars, in fact, were started and fought by the followers of Jesus. These events are enough to show that he was not the Messiah. And so how do we respond to this objection presented by this rabbi? Well, first of all, our King Yahusha indeed will bring peace. He will gather the people, the exiles from different places all, all over the world to the land of Israel, and he will rebuild the temple there in Jerusalem. However, we need to understand that the work of our King, our King Yahusha, the Messiah, follows a timeline. It follows a pattern. And so we believe that Yahusha's work will come in different stages, which is what we see take place throughout Scripture. Because when Yahuwah, our Father, uh, God who created all things, when he works, he does so in stages. There's a process in the work of the Father. Ever since the fall of man that we can find and read about in the book of Genesis, Yahuwah set in motion his work of redemption, 
and his work of restoration. It follows a timeline and it's divided into two main parts. And these two main parts is the first advent of Yahusha and the second advent of Yahusha. So the rabbi, when he objects that Yahusha is the Messiah, is basically telling us he cannot be the Messiah because he did not build uh, the temple. He did not bring all the exiles of Israel into the land of Israel. The reason why he's able to say that is because Yahusha has not yet fulfilled the second advent. He's only fulfilled the first advent because Yahusha's work comes in two comings or two advents, the first advent and the second advent. First advent includes the birth, the ministry, the death, the burial, the resurrection, the ascension, and the giving of the Holy Spirit. Now, what the rabbi is looking for are the events or the things that will take place after the second advent of our king, Yahushua. Obviously, this hasn't happened yet. And so we're still waiting for the second advent of our king, Yahushua. And so after giving this answer, I think the rabbi kind of already knew this was the answer we're going to give because he already said, because he said in his um, objection, the following, the main Christian responses to these objections are A, the second coming. First of all, we find this to be a contrived answer since there is no mention of a second coming in the Holy Bible. Second, why wouldn't God accomplish his goals the first time around? Most importantly, the second coming idea is just an attempt at answering an obvious question, but it certainly does not constitute proof of messianic claims. So according to the rabbi, he already knew we're going to answer his objection by saying that Yahusha has a second coming or a second advent. Yahusha's work comes in two comings or two advents, the first advent and the second advent. But his objection to that answer is, he says, first of all, we find this to be a contrived answer since there is no mention of a second coming in the Jewish Bible. Now, what is the Jewish Bible? Basically, the Old Testament that we have today. And so according to this rabbi, there is no mention of a, of a second coming in the Jewish Bible. However, we need to test that. So we need to ask the question, does the Old Testament, the Jewish Bible, reveal that the Messiah will have two advents or two comings? Yes, there are clues given in the Old Testament that suggest quite clearly there are two advents or two comings of our Messiah. And what are they? What are the proofs or the evidences for that? Let's read here the book of Daniel, chapter 7, 13 and 14. Take note, this is the, the Jewish Bible that we're using, right? Because this is the Old Testament. And this is what Daniel says. I was watching in the night visions and behold one like the son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the ancient of days and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory in the kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. So according to the prophet Daniel, and I'm sure the rabbi would not disagree with the message and prophecy of Daniel, according to Daniel in his prophecy about the Messiah, the Messiah, the one who is like the son of man, he will come with the clouds of heaven. And when he comes with the clouds of heaven, he will be given dominion 
and glory and a kingdom, and his kingdom is one which shall not be destroyed. And so we believe this is to be true. This will happen when our King Yahusha comes. However, in Daniel 9, 26, this is also spoken of concerning the Messiah. In Daniel 9, 26 to 27, and after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood until the end of the war. Desolations are determined. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to, the, to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation, which is determined, is poured out on the desolate. According to the prophet Daniel, he says when Messiah comes, because Daniel chapter 9 is about the revelation given to Daniel concerning how Israel will be atoned for and will have a kingdom that will last forever. But this requires the Messiah to be cut off. In Daniel 7, we find Messiah coming in the clouds and he's going to rule over the world with an everlasting kingdom. But here in Daniel, the Bible says when Messiah comes, what will happen to him? He will be cut off. What does that mean? He's going to die. And so after the death of Messiah, what would also happen to the people of Israel? They will go through desolations. They will experience war. And so this is what's going to happen when Yahusha returns. And so, or when Yahusha comes, Messiah comes. So what we have here, according to the teaching of the prophet Daniel, which I believe the rabbi would accept, what we have here are two different scenarios of the coming of the Messiah. Daniel 7, it says he's going to reign forever and ever. His kingdom will have no end. Daniel 9 says he's going to be cut off and the people of Israel would engage in war and be left desolate. And so which is true? Which uh, prophecy would be fulfilled? And so if there is only one advent, you're going to have a contradiction. But if there's two advents, there's no contradiction. This is why the only way to reconcile, the only way to harmonize these two different prophecies of Daniel, which conflict with each other, is by believing there are two advents. Yahusha's coming will be coming for in, a, for in the first advent, in the second advent. The first advent he would come so that he would be cut off or die. The second advent is going to take place. And after, the second advent includes him reigning forever and ever. And so what also proves that there are two advents in the work of the Messiah? Let's read here. Zechariah 9, 9 to 10. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem. The battle bow shall be cut off. He shall speak peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of 
the earth. Here, the, the prophet Zechariah is telling us about the coming of the king. How is the king going to come? Bible says he's going to come on a donkey, riding a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. Remember what the Jews envisioned concerning the Messiah is one who is like a warrior because they're thinking that the kingdom that's going to come first is a kingdom that is a political kingdom. And so when Yahush, when the king, the Messiah is going to come, he's going to be one who is prepared for battle, one who is going to fight wars. But here in Zechariah, it says the Messiah, the king who is to come, is going to come and speak peace. You notice that? Not only will he, will he speak peace, peace is going to also ride on a donkey very interesting but then when you jump to Zechariah 14 something happens behold the day of Yahuwah is coming and your spoil will be divided in your midst for I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem the city shall be taken the houses rifle, uh, rifled and the women ravished half the city shall go into captivity but the remnant of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then Yahuwah will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. And in that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. And on the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west, making a very large valley. Half of the mountain shall move toward the north and half of it toward the south. And so in Zechariah 14, we have another messianic prophecy. The Messiah will be the representative of Yahuwah, and he would touch down on the Mount of Olives, and he will wage war. He will come in wrath, and the, the, and the nations who battle against Jerusalem will be utterly destroyed. So we have here in Zechariah, the prophet, describing the coming of the Messiah in two different opposing characteristics. Zechariah 9, he describes it as Messiah comes in a donkey to speak peace. Zechariah 14, Messiah comes to fight against the nations in wrath. Very distinct, are they not? And so they contradict each other. Well, which is correct, Zechariah 9 or Zechariah 14? We believe both are correct. But this is a conundrum. This is a big problem for the Hebrew scholars because how can they reconcile Zechariah 9 and 14? How can they recon reconcile Daniel 7 and Daniel 9? And so these are the, the prophetic um, writings that point to problems when you believe in only one coming of the Messiah. And so in order to kind of reconcile this, according to the traditions of the Jews, if the people of Israel will be righteous, the Messiah will come in the clouds of heaven. If they will not be righteous, he will come as a poor man riding upon an ass. And so according to some people, some, some Hebrew scholars, some rabbis of old, which they recorded in Sanhedrin 98a, to make sense of these seemingly contradictory prophetic scriptures, what they suggest is, it's a, it's, it's a conditional coming of the Messiah. And so if Israel is righteous, he will come in the clouds of heaven. Daniel 7 would be fulfilled. Zechariah 14 would be fulfilled. 
But if the people of Israel will not be righteous, then Zech uh, Daniel, Zechariah, Zechariah chapter, was that seven? Or Zechariah, go back. Zechariah nine would be fulfilled, right? If uh, they will not live according to righteousness. And so it's, a, it's conditional. And so depending on the work of, uh, of uh, the people of Israel, Messiah's coming will come either as one who is going to be on a colt or one who is going to be on the clouds. So that's one interpretation. Another interpretation from the Jewish people is rec uh, recorded here presented by Chabad.org, which is, by the way, a Jewish source. It's a Jewish website. This is what they say. Jewish tradition uh, speaks of two redeemers, each one called Mashiach. Both are involved in ushering in the Messianic era. They're Mashiach ben David and Mashiach ben Yosef. The term Mashiach, unqualified, always refers to Mashiach ben David. Mashiach, the descendant of David, of the tribe of Judah. He is the actual, the final redeemer who shall rule in the messianic age. All that was said in our text relates to him. Mashiach ben Yosef, Mashiach the descendant of Joseph, of the tribes of Ephraim, son of Joseph, is also referred to as Mashiach ben Ephraim, Mashiach the descendant of Ephraim. He will come first before the final redeemer and later will serve as his viceroy. And so here's another attempt to kind of reconcile the seemingly opposite nature of the prophecies found in Zechariah and Daniel. According to Jabba.org, there's a Jewish tradition also that speak of two messiahs. And so to kind of make sense of Zechariah, kind of make sense of Daniel, there are two messiahs. One is Messiah ben Yosef and Messiah ben David. Messiah ben Yosef is going to come to suffer. This is why it's called Messiah, messiah ben Yosef, and then another Messiah is going to come, and he's going to be the kingly Messiah who will rule, rule all over the world. And so you have two different interpretations and two di different attempts to reconcile the seemingly contradictory uh, messages of the prophecies concerning the Messiah. And so which is correct? Because when you look at Zechariah 9 and Zech Zechariah 14, you look at it and say, well, can both be correct? And so many Jewish rabbis today believe that for this to make sense, well, they have to believe in two messiahs who will come at different times, which is interesting because according to the rabbi who made the objection, right? His objection was, first of all, we find this to be a contrived answer since there is no mention of a second coming in the Jewish Bible. However, according to other rabbis, According to Jewish tradition, the Messiah will come on two different times by two different messiahs. And so that's really, really contrived. Two different messiahs, Ben Yosef and Ben David, who will come at different times. And so that's how they explain the seemingly contradictory nature of the prophecies concerning the coming of the Messiah, Zechariah 9 and Zechariah 14. However, what is the proper understanding? How can we understand, how can we reconcile Zechariah 9 and Zechariah 
14. How could it be that Messiah comes on a donkey to, to speak peace, and then Messiah comes to fight against the nations in wrath? Well, the answer lies in Zechariah 12, in the passage that is in between 9 and 14. Let's read Zechariah 12 in the verses 10. And I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. And so what is the explanation? How do you reconcile Zechariah 9 and Zechariah 14? You reconcile both by teaching that there are two advents, but only one Messiah. In the first advent, what will he do? He will die. Second advent, what will he do? He will come back and rule. And these two advents is depicted in scripture, and it's even represented in the Moedim, the feasts of Yahuwah. And we'll talk more about that later on. And so the best explanation is that Yahushua, the Messiah, will come in two advents. There's only one Messiah, because to teach our two Messiahs would be contradictory. There's only one King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And so either we accept there are two Messiahs who will come in two different times, or we believe there's one Messiah who have two different functions, first to die and then to rule, first to come as a lamb, and then to come as a lion, right? And so that's what we believe as followers of our king, Yahushua. But in the, the other objection that he gives is what he says here. Second, why couldn't God accomplish his goals the first time around? What is our answer? He could have if he wanted to, but it's not up to us. It's up to him. I mean, he could have created peace already during our time today or thousands of years ago, but he did not. He follows his own timeline. We call the timeline the Moedim. And so when we look at the Moedim of Yahuwah, we have the feasts of Yahuwah, Passover, Feast of Unleavened Bread, Feast of First Fruits, Feast of Weeks, Day of Trumpets, Day of Atonement, Feast of Tabernacles, or seven altogether that Yahuwah gave for the people of Yasharah, people of Israel. And when we look at these appointed times, because the meaning of the word Moedim, or the meaning of the word feast in Hebrew is Moedim, which means appointed times. Yahuwah has an appointed time for everything that's happening. There's a process because Yahuwah God is an orderly God. And so when he's carrying out his work of redemption and restoration, he follows this timeline. So we have Passover, Feast of Unleavened Bread, Feast of First Fruits. This was fulfilled by Yahushua when he died, he was buried, and he was resurrected. This was to set up the kingdom. This is why when you look at the, uh, the upper part of this chart, the Bible teaches us that when we look at the Moedim, it basically teaches three distinct stages of the kingdom. And so the first three feasts correspond to the kingdom being set up. This is when Yahushua came, he preached, he died, was buried, and was resurrected. This, was, this is the kingdom being set up. And so Yahushua goes to heaven, he sends the Holy Spirit, the birth of the 
ecclesia, and so it's now time to build up the kingdom. We are now in that stage, the building up of the kingdom. And so afterwards, we have the return of our King Yahushua, which corresponds to the Day of Trumpets, Day of Atonement, Peace of Tabernacles. And so that is the third stage of the kingdom. The kingdom reigns on earth. Right now, the kingdom is not reigning on earth because it's not yet time according to the plan of Yahuwah. We are now in the building up stage of the kingdom. So the kingdom is set up, the, the building up of the kingdom, and then the kingdom reigning over the earth for a thousand years. And so that's the plan and purpose of Yahuwah contained in the Moedim. Now let's go to another objection that he raises. There is peace within his followers. So those who believe that Yahushua is the Messiah and then that he is to speak peace, that there's peace in the hearts of men, not peace in the world. That is the kind of standard answer that we give to these Jewish objections. However, the rebuttal of the rabbi is, he says that is, a wonder, that is wonderful for them, but does, does that help the victims of the Inquisition, the Crusades, the Hundred Years War, the First World War, the Second World War, etc.? In each of the events that I mentioned, most if not all the combatants, the violent oppressors and torturers were people who claimed to be followers of Jesus and is peace in the heart of a fulfillment of swords into plowshares. And so he is basically objecting to the Christian response that Yahushua came and he brought peace in our heart. Do we believe that Yahushua brought peace in our heart? Yes. But what kind of peace did our King Yahushua bring into our hearts? Well, let's first understand what is needed for Yahushua to do. So, which is reflected on the pattern of the Moedim. In Isaiah 59, 2-8, it says, but your iniquities have separated you from your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear the way of peace they have not known. There is no justice in their ways. They have made themselves with the paths. Whoever takes that way shall not know peace. And so the Bible teaches that the root problem that we all have is the problem of sin. Because of the problem of sin, there is no peace between human beings, between the, the people of the world. Which is why there's always war, right? There's always violence because there's no peace because of sin. But the chief problem of sin is not peace with each other, but the lack of peace with who? Yahuwah. So that's the priority. Because of sin, man became the enemy of God. Because of sin, man became the enemy of man. But the priority that needs to be resolved is not yet having peace with man, peace on earth, but the first problem to be resolved is what? Having peace with who? With God. That's the peace in the heart that we are talking about. And so how can this be remedied? How can this problem with our relationship with God be solved. Let's read the book of Isaiah 53. He shall see the labor of his soul. And so this is Isaiah 53. I get a messianic prophecy. This is what the Messiah is going to do. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, 
he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul unto death and he was numbered with the transgressors and he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. So according to the prophet Isaiah, when he spoke about the work of the Messiah, it includes the work of bearing their iniquities and suffering death to make intercession for the transgressors. And so to be able to obtain peace with God so that God can be with people, sin had to be atoned for. This is the work of the Messiah. The Messiah is going to die for the sins of many transgressors so that peace with God can be established. And who was the one who fulfilled this? In Matthew 1, 20 to 23, uh, but while he, he thought about these things, behold, an angel of Yahuwah appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take you, Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and he shall bring forth a son, and you shall call him Yahushua, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Yahuwah through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. And so who fulfilled the messianic prophecy in Isaiah 53 so that peace with God will be established, our king, Yahushua. This is why for him to succeed in fulfilling the first advent, the Bible tells us he had to die. And when he died, the sins and the transgressions of people were atoned for. And now God can be with us. In other words, there is peace between man and God. That was the top priority, establishing peace with God. This is why Yahushua would also be called Emmanuel. However, the rabbi of Jackson says, and peace in the heart, is that the fulfillment of swords and the plowshares? It's not. Peace in the heart is a different kind of peace. Peace in the heart refers to peace with who? Yahuwah. That was the first part of the plan. And then peace that is in the form of swords and the plowshares, that would be at the second advent of our king, Yahusha, because that's referring to Isaiah 2, 1 to 4, which speaks of the millennial kingdom, which is in the second advent, not the first advent of our king, Yahusha. And so Yahusha would first fulfill the first advent, which would be to bear the iniquities of human beings, so that by the death of his soul, by his death, we would be atoned for, and Yahusha would become our intercessor, that we can have peace with God. So the first advent, Yahusha established peace with God. Second advent, Yahushua is going to establish peace on earth by ushering in the millennial kingdom. Okay, so that's uh, the objection number three. Let's go now to objection number four, Messiah's qualifications. So according to the Jewish people, they reject Yahushua as the Messiah because according to them, they, he does not meet the qualifications of a Messiah. And they identify three main qualifications for one to become a Messiah. What are they? 
He says Messiah is a prophet, a scholar, and a pious king. Jesus made a prediction that the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand, Mark 1.15. That was 2,000 years ago. Has the kingdom of God come? Do you call the Holocaust, Pol Pot, and Stalin, the world in which the kingdom of God has come? Jesus was not a great scholar. One of the requirements of the Messiah was Jesus a king. He was not anointed as king by a prophet, as was the rule in Jewish kings. He was not appointed by any judicial body as a leader and did not rule over the Jewish people, nor was, uh, was he accepted by them. He was arrested, tortured, and killed by the Romans like a common criminal. He had no army or government. Therefore, to my question, the answer to my question is an obvious no. And so according to the rabbi, Yahusha is not a messiah because he's not a prophet, a scholar, and a pious king. So let's go ahead and take a look at his allegations. First of all, messiah is supposed to be a prophet. So let's ask and test this question, was Yahusha a prophet? What do you think? Yes, he was the best prophet. He was the greatest prophet of all, bar, bar none. In Matthew 23, 37 and 39, of Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of Yahuwah. Here's our King Yahushua. He was rejected by, by Israel, right, by Judah. And so he says, this is what's going to happen to you because you rejected me. He says, your house is left to you desolate. And then he says, you will not see me anymore until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of Yahuwah. And so according to our King Yahusha, because they rejected him as the Messiah, what's going to happen are a series of events that will leave the house of Israel, the house of Judah, desolate. Now, what does it mean? It's going to be left desolate. Luke 21, uh, 20, it says, but when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation is near. And so what does it mean? It's going to be desolate. What are the events that will take place that will make Jerusalem desolate? It begins when they will be surrounded by armies. And what would happen as the armies begin to surround Jerusalem? Matthew 24, in his prophecy, then Yahushua went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. And Yahushua said to them, do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. And so what would the armies do that surrounds Jerusalem that will make, that will create a desolation Yahusha predicted or prophesied? Yahusha also says that the buildings of the temple will come tumbling down. So, so, so much so, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. And so was this fulfilled? Absolutely. Because we know 40 years, uh, roughly 40 years after the death of our King Yahusha, after his rejection, what happened to Jerusalem? It was surrounded by armies. 
and it was completely destroyed and Jerusalem became desolate. And what was mentioned in the, in the prophecy, Daniel chapter 9, was fulfilled. They found desolation. They were engaged in many wars. And so, yes, Yahusha is a prophet. But the rabbi says that Yahusha made a wrong prophecy. What was that wrong prophecy? He says Jesus made a prediction that the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. That was 2,000 years ago. Has the kingdom of God come? Do you call the Holocaust, Pol Pot, and Stalin, the world in which the kingdom of God has come? And so what the rabbi is suggesting is because after Yahusha says the time, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. What he was expecting was is going to be a political kingdom. And this political kingdom will bring in peace on earth. And so he says that was 2,000 years ago. And Yahushua says, it is already at hand. At hand doesn't mean 2,000 years later. <laughs> and so he's saying Yahushua made a wrong prophecy. But let's go ahead and take a look at Mark 1.15, which is the passage he alludes to. Mark 1.15, and saying the time is fulfilled, right? And so it's, it's fulfilled. And the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So this is what we find in Mark chapter 1 and the verses 15. Now let's take a look at the Greek word behind kingdom. The Greek word used in kingdom, when it says the kingdom of God is at hand, is basileia, Greek word 932. What does that mean? Does it mean an actual physical political kingdom? Let's take a look. The Greek word basileia is referring to kingship, dominion. But it says, take note, not to be confused with an actual kingdom, but rather the right or authority to rule over a kingdom. So the Greek word used is not referring to a political kingdom. It is referring to the sovereignty of the one who is going to be given rule or authority over the kingdom. In other words, the kingdom of God that is at hand is a dynamic. It's not static. It's not a, it's not a not necessarily have to be a physical kingdom, but it's a dynamic concept that refers to God's sovereign activity or ruling over his creation. In other words, what our King Yahushua is saying, that when, yeah, when he was there preaching the good news or the gospel, it was already time for the setting up of the kingdom. Remember, it comes in three stages, the setting up of the kingdom, the building up of the kingdom, and then the reign of the, the kingdom that the rabbi is thinking of. But when in Mark 15, it says the kingdom is at hand, it's referring to the authority, the rulership of our King Yahuwah, Yahuwah through Yahusha in setting up his kingdom. It's not referring to a political kingdom already. This is why when Yahusha was being interrogated by Pilate, this is what he said in John 18, Yahushua answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, are you a king then? Yahushua answered, you say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born and for this cause I have come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And so what, when Yahushua says the kingdom of God is at hand, 
Was it referring to the kingdom being uh, as a ruling power on earth already? No. Yahushua says, my kingdom is not of this world. And then he says, but now my kingdom is not from here. But one day it's going to, uh, what the Bible says is that that kingdom is going to come on earth, but not yet. However, the beginning of that kingdom was already being set up. This is why we have stages in the, in the evolution of the kingdom or in the work of the kingdom. It is set up, it has been built, and then it's going to reign. When will it reign? Revelation eleven fifteen. Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven saying the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of Yahusha and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. So when will that take place? When the kingdom that is of Yahusha, which is not of this world, will now take over the world and usher in peace here on earth for a thousand years. It will take place after the seventh trumpet, after the seventh angel is, has sounded his trumpet. And so this will not take place until the end of the age. And so Yahusha indeed is a prophet. Now let's go take a look at his other allegation. He says Yahusha has to be a scholar. And then he says uh, Jesus, Yahusha, was not a great scholar. One of the requirements of the Messiah. It's interesting that he says Yahusha is not a scholar. But let's go ahead and test uh, that idea. Was Yahusha a scholar? In Luke chapter 2, 42, when Yahusha was 12, he was 12 years old. They attended the festival as usual. Three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple, sitting among the religious teachers, listening to them and asking questions. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Yahusha grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and all the people. Here we have Yahusha. How old was he? He was only 12. And what was he doing? He was in the synagogue and he was sitting among the religious teachers. These were scholars. And what did the teachers do? They listened to him, asked questions. He asked questions. He taught and he spoke. And these religious teachers who were scholars, they were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And so Yahusha continued to grow in wisdom. And when he began to grow in wisdom, and he became an adult, he began to teach in the synagogues, what did the people notice about his teaching? Mark 6, 1-2, then he went out from there and came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many, hearing him, were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things, and what wisdom is this which is given to him? That such mighty works are performed by his hands. And so the people who witnessed the preaching, the teaching of our King Yahushua, what kind of response did they have? They were amazed. They were astonished at the power and wisdom that was shown by our King Yahushua. Of course, the scholars of the Sanhedrin became jealous and they became insecure. And so what did they try to do? They tried to trap Yahushua 
We asked him many questions. They accused him and his disciples of not following Torah. And in this instance in Mark 7, 5 to 8, if we fast forward a little bit, when the Pharisees and scribes asked him, these were scholars, right? And what did they do? Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? He answered and said to them, well, did Isaiah, well, did Isaiah prophesy about of, your, of you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men, the washing of pitchers and cups and many other such things you do. And so here's our king, Yahushua. He was confronted by the Pharisees and the scribes, right? And they were scholars. Unfortunately, they were scholars, not of the commandment of God, but of the traditions of men. They mastered the uh, work of past rabbis. They mastered the work of the teachings of men. But Yahushua is a different kind of scholar. He's a scholar of the word of God, not the traditions of men, although Yahushua knows more than they do. And so Yahushua, when he was confronted, he was asked and he was accused, why do you not wash your hands? And so what was the response of our king Yahushua? He says, you lay aside the commandment of God because you hold on to the tradition of men. And then he speaks about this accusation in 14 and 15. When he had called all the multitude to himself, he said to them, hear me, everyone. And understand, there's nothing that enters a man from outside which can defile him. But the things which come out of him, those are the things that defile a man. So our King Yahushua corrected this misunderstanding or this wrong idea of these scholars of the Sanhedrin. Because Yahushua, he knew and he was a scholar of the true commandment of the word of God. As a matter of fact, throughout his ministry. Our King Yahushua was confronted again and again and again by these Pharisees, by the Sadducees, by the scribes. He was confronted again and again, and they tried to trap him. But Yahushua always had the perfect answer for these scholars, because throughout his ministry, Yahushua corrected the scholars and religious leaders of the Sanhedrin and restored the truth of Yahuwah. This is why when the rabbi says he's not a scholar, he definitely outscholared those whom he deems as scholars. And not only that, one of the Hebrew scholars actually testified about Yahushua. Do you know uh, one Hebrew scholar? You know what he said about Yahushua? This is what he says about Yahushua in the book of Colossians 2. Who is the Hebrew scholar I'm referring to? the one who studied under the feet of Gamaliel, right? And this is what he said about Yahushua. I want them to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself. In him lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So is Yahushua a scholar? He's not just a scholar. He's the plan. <laughs> He's the Logos. Even before the world was made, he was the Logos. He was the plan. This is why only in him, only in Christ, 
Do you have true scholarship? Outside of Christ, you don't have true scholarship. Only in him do you find true scholarship because in him lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And so is Yahushua scholar. He is the plan, <laughs> not just the scholar, right? So let's go to the next one, a pious king. Because he says, was Jesus a king? So was Yahushua a king? I think we can already answer that question, right? But according to him, he's not. Why not? Well, he says, was Jesus a king? He was not anointed as king by a prophet, as was the rule in Jewish kings. He was not appointed by any judicial body as a leader. So according to them, Jesus cannot be king because he was not anointed. And so what does it mean to be anointed? Let's read the book of Isaiah 61. The spirit of Yahuwah, God is upon me because Yahuwah has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. So what does it mean to be anointed? Because during the days of Israel, the prophet anointed the one who is to be king. But what was the purpose of the anointing? It was to consecrate, to set apart the one who is to become king. But the oil itself is not what will equip or make the king work as a king or function as a king. It was the spirit. When the king was set apart by the anointing, it was set apart so that the spirit can be manifested upon him. So true anointing in its essence, it's not the oil. <laughs> true anointing in its essence is what? The outpouring, not of oil, but the spirit. This is why in Isaiah 61, it says, the spirit of Yahuwah, God is upon me because Yahuwah has anointed me. So according to the Holy Scriptures, the king who is to be the Messiah is going to be different from other kings. See, other kings, they were anointed by prophets. This one, this king who is going to be the Messiah, who is going to anoint him? Yahuwah. Yahuwah is going to anoint him. Not some prophet, but Yahuwah. And so how was this fulfilled? Let's read the book of Luke 3, uh, 21 to 23. When all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Yahushua also was baptized. And while he prayed, the heaven was open, and the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven, which said, You are my beloved son, and you I am well pleased. Now Yahushua himself began his ministry at about 30 years of age, being as was supposed a son of Joseph, the son of Eli. And so according to scriptures, what happened to Yahushua? Well, eventually he would be baptized by John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was kind of reluctant to do so because he said, wait a minute, you're the Messiah. How am I going to baptize the Messiah? But Yahushua says, for all righteousness sake, you have to baptize me. So he gets baptism. And so after he's baptized, the heavens open. And then the Holy Spirit descends in bodily form like a dove upon him. What is that? The anointing of Yahuwah. That's why he began his ministry after that anointing. And what did our King Yahushua do when he, after he was anointed? Well, shortly after that event in Luke 3, we jump to Luke 4, 17, and he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And then he opened the book. He found the place where it was written, the spirit of Yahuwah is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim, pro proclaim liberty to the captives, 
and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of Yahuwah, then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And so our King Yahushua was anointed. Who anointed him? Not just some prophet, Yahuwah himself. How was he anointed? By the power of the Holy Spirit. And so he definitely qualifies as king. But the rabbi goes on to say, well, he, he is definitely not king. Why not? Well, because he did not rule over the Jewish people, nor was he accepted by them. He was arrested, tortured, and killed by the Romans like a common criminal. And so his reason for rejecting Yahushua as king is because he had no followers, or that he was rejected by the Jews, because he was supposed to be king of the Jews. But the Jewish people rejected him, therefore he could not be king. However, the fact that the Jews rejected Yahushua is actually part of the plan. It was fulfillment of the messianic prophecies. Look at Isaiah 28, 16. I'm sure the rabbi will accept this passage. Therefore, this is what the sovereign Yahuwah says. Look, I am placing a foundation stone in Jerusalem, a firm and tested stone. It is a precious cornerstone that is safe to build on. Whoever believes need never be shaken. This is a messianic prophecy. The Messiah is likened to a foundation stone upon which you build. And those who place or trust in him will never be shaken. And so this is the Messiah, the Messiah, according to the Hebrew scriptures, the Jewish Bible, right, is a foundation stone. However, what would be the response of many concerning this foundation stone? In Psalms 118, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. And so according to the Old Testament scriptures, the Jewish Bible, Yahushua would be rejected. The stone, which would become the chief cornerstone, Yahushua, would be rejected. And who would reject them? Isaiah 8, 14 and 15. He will be as a sanctuary, but a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel. As a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many among them shall stumble. They shall fall and be broken, be snared, and taken. So according to the Jewish Bible, the Old Testament scriptures, right? Yahushua, or the Messiah, is going to be rejected. By whom? By both houses. House of Judah, the house of Israel. This is why we're not surprised that Yahushua would be rejected by the Jewish people by both houses, because it's part of prophecy. Now, why would they reject Yahushua, who is the foundation stone, who is the Messiah? Isaiah 6, 9 to 11. And he said, go and tell this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and shut their eyes. Lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return and be healed. Then I said, Lord, how long? And he answered, until the cities are laid waste and without inhabitant, the houses are without a man. The land is utterly desolate. And so why did they reject uh, Yahushua? Why would both houses, house of Israel, house of Judah, why would they reject Yahushua? That's because 
there's going to be a stupor placed upon the minds of the people of Israel to make their hearts dull, their, hearts, their ears heavy, and their eyes are going to be shut. And so it was prophesied in the quote-unquote Jewish Bible, it was prophesied that Messiah would be what? Rejected by both houses. This is why when the rabbi um, objects and says Yahusha cannot be the king because the Jewish people did not accept him, well, that proves he is the Messiah. Because according to the Messianic scripture, he would be rejected by his own people. Okay? And then he goes on to say he had no army or government. He does. <laughs> And this will be made manifest in Revelation 19, 11 and 16. Now I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire. And on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood. And his name is called the word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, and with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. And he, he himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of Lords, does Yahushua have a government? Yeah. Does he have an army? Yeah. When will it be fully manifested? When the heavens will open so that Yahushua from heaven, together with his army, riding on a white horse, will come to rule over the earth to bring peace through the millennial kingdom. Is he king? Not just king. King of kings and lord of lords. Why? He's a king that has many crowns because he is the word of God. In other words, he is the plan. All things were created for him and through him. This is why to say that he's not a prophet, he's not a, a scholar, he's not a king. They do not really know the plan of God. And so to answer the question, is Messiah a prophet, a scholar, and a pious king? Yeah. Is Messiah a prophet? The greatest prophet. Is he a scholar? He is the Logos. Is he a pious king? He's a king of kings and lord of lords. And so when you look at the qualifications of Messiah, it's actually Yahushua who is the fulfillment. And what's interesting is when you look at the qualifications of Messiah, it's, uh, I, I'm just wondering why he only mentions that he's a prophet, a scholar, and a pious king. Because there are many other qualifications there are that the Old Testament tells us about concerning who the Messiah is. This is why I want to take some time to go over that. Because the Messianic prophecies, the Old Testament, the so-called Jewish Bible, what they speak of concerning the Messiah could only have been fulfilled by Yahushua. No other person. And let's go ahead and take a look at that. In the book of Micah 5.2, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, Though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. So for one to be the Messiah, 
He has to come from where? Bethlehem. He will be born in Bethlehem, right? And so that's one of the qualifications of Messiah. I don't know why the rabbi did not mention that qualification, but that's a pretty specific qualification because when you say he has to be a prophet, scholar, and a king, it's not really specific enough, right? This is really specific. He is from Beth, he will be born from Bethlehem. What else? This one's really, really powerful. Not only will he, be, will he be born in Bethlehem, he will be born of a virgin, which is a sign. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And so that's another very specific qualification of Messiah. But here's one of the most powerful qualifications required for one to be Messiah. In Isaiah 53, as a matter of fact, if you have a friend who is a Jewish, of Jewish descent or person who is Jewish and you want to kind of share your faith with them about the Messiah, tell them to read Isaiah 53 and ask them for a comment about Isaiah 53. Because Isaiah 53 tells us very specifically what the Messiah will do and what will happen to Messiah. And so let's look at the qualifications required by Isaiah 53. In Isaiah 53, 3 to 6, it says, He is despised, rejected by men, a man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. This chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed, and we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and Yahuwah has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So according to Isaiah 53, Yahusha would not only be despised, he would not only be rejected, he would also be bruised and wounded and chastised, and he would be scorched for our sins. Not only will he be despised and rejected and scourged and stricken and uh, beaten up, suffer blows after blows for our sins, what also is going to happen to Messiah according to the quote-unquote Jewish Bible? Isaiah 37-10, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yeah? Yet he opened not his mouth, he was led as a lamb to the slaughter and a sheep before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people, he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he has done no violence, nor was the seed found in his mouth. Yet it pleased Yahuwah to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of Yahuwah shall prosper in his hand. So according to the Holy Scriptures, the Messiah, this is the prophecy about the Messiah. And I'm sure the rabbi, when he reads Isaiah 53, he has to really ask himself this question. This is about the Messiah. And according to the quote-unquote Jewish Bible, right, the Old Testament Scripture, the Messiah is not only going to suffer, What's going to happen to the Messiah? He's going to die. <laughs> the Messiah is going to die. But not only is the Messiah going to die. The Bible says 
he is going to be risen back to life. Where can we find that? Well, if you keep reading in verse 10, right? Yet it pleased Yahuwah to bruise him. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. Why? Because he shall see his seed. What does that mean? 11 and 12. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide us for with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many, and made the intercession for the transgressors. And so I, Isaiah 53 tells us that Yahushua is going to be an offering for sin. He's going to die so that people can live. But it also tells us that Yahushua, or the Messiah here, he shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. In other words, he's going to resurrect. And he will continue to make intercession for transgressors. So Isaiah 53 not only tells us about the suffering and death of Yahushua, it also tells us about the resurrection of Yahushua. And this resurrection of Yahushua is made clear by the thousands of witnesses. There's a Jewish law which says for you to, to make sense or to accept something as true, there has to be two, at least two or three independent witnesses. Those who testify about the resurrection of Yahushua, more than just two or three, but thousands. In fact, they testified not only with their lips, but also by what they were willing to do. They were willing to die for that testimony. I mean, how many witnesses do you need to establish something as fact? Thousands of witnesses who say Yahushua died and he resurrected. And because they believed that testimony, they did not make it up. They died for it. Would a person who's making up something or lying about something, would they die for a lie? No way. This is why the testimony about the death and resurrection of our King Yahushua, that fulfills Isaiah 53. And so that was fulfilled in Yahushua. And so I want to know from the rabbi, if Yahushua was not the fulfillment, well, who would it be, right? And there's a qualification required by Psalm 22. Psalm 22 describes the crucifixion. And so the Messiah, or the quote-unquote Jewish Bible, not only tells us Yahushua is going to die and resurrect, it also tells us how he's going to die. He's going to be resurrected because he's going to be treated like a worm, a crimson worm. He's going to be poured out like water. His, boing, his bones are out of joint. His strength is dried up. His tongue clings to his jaws. And his hands and feet are going to be pierced. We studied this in, the, in the, our previous episode. This refers to the crucifixion. And so Psalms 22 tells us the Messiah is going to be crucified. So Isaiah 53, Psalms 22, all that have to be met for Yahushua to be Messiah. But one more before we wrap up. The qualification required by Zechariah. Zechariah is a very powerful one. And I'm very curious to know what his rebuttal would be. Zechariah 6, 11 and 13. Take the silver and gold, make an elaborate crown, and set it on the head of Yahushua, the son of Jehoshaphat, the high priest, 
and speak to him, speak to him, saying, Thus says Yahuwah of hosts, saying, Behold, the man whose name is the branch, from his place he shall branch out, and he shall build the temple of Yahuwah. Yes, he shall build the temple of Yahuwah. He shall bear the glory and shall sit and rule on his throne. So he shall be a priest on his throne. And the council of peace shall be between them both. And so here, the Bible tells us about a prophecy. And this prophecy is depicted by Zechariah. And he involves Yahusha, who was the high priest during his time. And so Yahuwah instructs, uh, instructs him to take this Yahusha, the son of Jehoshaphat, uh, Jehoshaphat, the high priest, and to create an elaborate crown and set on the head of Yahusha, right? And then he says, thus says Yahuwah host, saying, behold, the man whose name is the branch, from his place he shall branch out. And he's going to build the temple of Yahuwah. And so this messianic prophecy tells us about this man, or about the branch, obviously speaking about the Messiah. And this Messiah is attached to me. What is that name? Yahusha. The name of Yahusha is going to be the name of this Messiah. But here's the most interesting part of this prophecy. Not only does it mention the name, not only does it mention he's going to build the temple, it also says he shall sit and rule on his throne. He shall be a priest on his throne. And so Bible tells us not only is he going to be king, he's also going to be what? Priest. How would the rabbi explain that? Because for you to be king, you have to be from the tribe of what tribe? Judah. For you to be priest, you have to be of Aaronic descent. But you cannot be both. <laughs> and so how would you explain that this Messiah is both a king and a priest according to Mosaic law? Can't be done. Cannot be done. However, Yahushua is king because he's from the tribe of Judah. But he's also priest. Not because of Aaron, but because of Melchizedek. This is why when you look at Zechariah 6, 11, 13, when the Messiah is going to be both king and priest, that's a big, big, big problem for people who believe in a future coming or that, that, that Yahusha is not the Messiah. Because how do you explain that? How can you have a, a Messiah who's both king and priest? unless he is Yahushua. So when you look at all these qualifications, when you look at all the prophecies in the Old Testament, only Yahushua is able to meet all the qualifications of the Messiah as, as prescribed by the Old Testament. And when you look at all the Old Testament prophecies about Yahushua, the odds for Yahushua fulfilling all of them by accident or by chance is one over 10 to the 17th power. That's like a quadrillion million. And so that is not by chance. Yahusha is the Messiah 
as testified to by prophecy found in the Old Testament. And so he came. And when he came for the first time, he died for our sins. He was the lamb who was slaughtered. And right now he sits at the right hand of Yahuwah Abba. And he continues to intercede on our behalf. But Yahushua has this to say. He says in the final passage of our studies, and behold, I am coming quickly. And my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. He's coming quickly. That would usher in the second advent of our king, Yahushua. So Yahushua, his work was pre-planned by Yahuwah as the logos. And it will come into advents. The first advent, the second advent. The second advent is coming soon. And so let us prepare for the second coming of our King Yahushua, because like he said, he's coming quickly and his reward is with him. That is our lesson. Let us stand and we shall pray together. Everlasting Father, most holy and gracious Abba, Yahuwah, thank you, Father, for your blessing. Thank you for the prophecies that you have given us. Indeed, they point to your son, whom we accept and believe to be your beloved son who died for us. The Mashiach, the anointed one, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Thank you, Father, for you have blessed us with this wisdom. Help us to share our faith, to proclaim the truth about you and about your son. Our King Yahushua, we confess our sins to you. For we believe that you receive punishment for our sins. We are infinitely thankful. And we will be your loyal subjects. We will be committed to you. And so we will proclaim you until the end. We eagerly wait for you to return as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. May you be with us and help us to be able to continue to fulfill our duties in you. Father, bless your people throughout the world. Help us to be your instruments, that your holy words will be manifested and your love be felt by the people of the world. We believe, Father, you have listened to our prayers, for we ask everything in the name of our Lord and Savior. Yahusha Hamashiach. Amen.